the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter. The story continues. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Jesus' mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, Mary and Joseph returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. All right, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so I have to do two polls right off the bat. Uh, the first poll is going to be, who do you think is going to win? And then the second poll is, who do you want to win? Thinking those might be two different answers. So the first round, uh, you, can, you have your choice of New England, Los Angeles, or none of the above, I don't care. I don't even know why it's called football, because everybody's using their hands anyway. Why is it called football, really, when you think about it? I guess handball was already taken. So those are your three options first time around. Uh, who thinks New England's going to win? Uh, I'll vote. Uh, no, no, actually, I'm not going to vote with that one. Who thinks LA's going to win? I'm going with LA myself. And uh, third option, don't care, have no idea. <laughs> why, why even wasting our time on this? OK, so there's round one. Uh, now here's the second round. Same options again. Uh, this time, uh, who do you want to win? How many of you want the Patriots to win? <laughs> Originally from New England, or you don't like the Rams? <laughs> you like Brady. Okay, that's, that's cool. That's fine. Uh, and how many of you want the Rams to win? Ah. Okay. And again, how many of you don't care, aren't watching, blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay. Um, I, I suspect that if one polled all of the U.S., you would get similar results to what we just found, except, of course, in the two relevant locations. Uh, as long as you're raising your hands, uh, see if you know the answer to this one. Uh, of our two campuses, which one is the wet campus? Is it Cross of Life or is it Christ the King? Uh, the correct answer. Wet as in allows, with council approval, alcoholic beverages to be consumed on site. So once again, we'll re-vote that now that, it, now that I clarify what that actually means. Uh, uh, is that Cross Life or Christ the King? Ah, uh, yeah, we have the festival here. We serve beer, so that's kind of an obvious one. Okay. Um, when we combine, the, the council actually spent some time talking about whether that should be a unified policy, the same at both places, and they actually decided to leave it as it is. In other words, uh, cross life, no, Christ the King, yes, uh, because it gives people kind of a nice choice, and uh, they can select their location or activities uh, accordingly. Now, interestingly, uh, in the case of cross life, uh, I don't, I'm not sure that it would be a dry campus if it had been left up to me. Here, here's the explanation of that. So uh, it, was, it was dry when I got there, by the way. Uh, and I grew up in West Bend, Wisconsin, which when I was growing up was like 
totally German, and you were either Catholic or Lutheran, but when you went to the summer church picnic, everybody served beer. And, and I even remember, like, as a seven- or eight-year-old, like, my parents would give me two tickets and say, go up and get us beers. And I'd go up there, and I'd ask for two beers, and they'd just give me two beers. And I don't think they watched where I went with the two beers. It was just such a part of the culture. So then when I finally came back here in the, in the late 90s, uh, I was kind of surprised that Cross Life was, was a dry campus. Um, but we didn't, we didn't do anything about that. And, and then about a year and a half after that, uh, we called Maria Pedersen to be a, another pastor there. And, and then at some point in council, the discussion came up. And uh, how many of you remember Maria? Any of you? A couple, we got a couple of cross-lifers here who remember that. So Maria's from California. She was kind of this California cool, never showed a lot of emotion about things. Uh, but on this discussion, she was really animated. And she thought it was really important that cross-life remain dry. And, and, you know, she was also from Northern California and enjoyed a glass of wine, so I kind of wondered, where did all that energy come from? And, and so we left it as it is, and I think wisely so. Uh, and so I talked to her about that afterwards, and, and she said what you might imagine she, she would use as an explanation, which was, you know, her father was an alcoholic, and he was really emotionally abusive uh, to her, and that left a lot of wounds in her life. Wounds which she had largely worked through, but you know with any wound, if it's big enough, it still leaves a scar. And, and so then those scars kind of impact how you live the rest of her life. But what I thought was cool about what she did in that discussion was, uh, so she was a witness to some disappointment in her life. Um, a father who struggled with addiction and then uh, the pain that that kind of spread uh, through her larger household. But, but rather than just be super negative then in her approach to all of that, what I thought she did really well when we talked about it was, was really be a proclaimer of grace, which was to say, here in this place, we have a different energy and a really good energy and a productive energy. And, and you know, alcohol is what it is, but we don't need that energy. Uh, we have our own sense of energy here, and, and that's what we should build on. And, and that's what the, the council decided to do at that point. I, I just thought... Um, it, it illustrated something that we face all the time as people of faith, which is there's nobody here who hasn't been a witness to some disappointment in your own life or in the life of your household or certainly in the life of our world. And so frequently it seems, does it not, that one way we can go in the face of our own disappointments is, is to uh, be negative, to be cynical, um, to not really want to solve problems, um, to just kind of pull back. And, and sometimes you need to do that in life. But I think most of the time in life, especially with the, with the help of the Spirit, we also can go a different direction, which is to solve problems and to have a sense of hope and anticipation about the future and, uh, as a result, to be able to be gracious people to the people around us to instead of inflicting wounds, to perhaps be a source of healing for wounds. So now think about that in your lives a little bit. Um, who's, who's been a proclaimer of grace to you? Someone who, when it could have gone either way, chose to lift you up, build you up, um, forgive you, or when you've had the chance to do that to somebody else. I mean. You all, we all know that, that that's life. That is so powerful and so life-giving. 
the, the reason I've been thinking about all of that was because of the scriptures we had today. And, and it's not immediately evident from the scriptures, but they really represent two distinct themes of thought. Really, the, the, the difference between uh, 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 allowing kind of your future to be determined by disappointment or allowing your future to be determined by grace. So let me tell you about them a little bit, because I think it's really important uh, to know this is part of our history and that the Bible uh, spends a lot of time thinking about this and, and, and doesn't bury either part of the tradition and is very aware that sometimes people go really negative and sometimes they don't. So Malachi, which was our first reading, um, is the last book in the Old Testament, but it's not the last one chronologically. It comes from a period of time called the post-exilic period. You all remember that for future testing, right? It comes from the post-exilic period. So um, in 587 BC, Jerusalem is conquered by the Babylonians, and they haul off about 10% of the population, most of the leadership elite, to essentially be intellectual slaves in Babylon. And eventually the Babylonians are replaced by the next world empire, which is the Persians, and they send all of that 10% back to Jerusalem. That's called the Restoration. But the thing is, the 10% who go back aren't the 10% who left. In other words, all the people who are deported die in, in exile. It's, it's decades and decades and decades. And so the people who come back, come back to their homeland, but they've never been there. And, and they come back to the 90% who were there all along, and immediately all sorts of conflicts arise. Um, because now they all had different traditions and, and allegiances and, and ownerships. And, and that created huge stress within the community. And at that point in the Old Testament, you get two really distinct streams of writing, one of which is a book like Malachi, which is similar to Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra is one of the saddest books uh, in the Bible. I think it's maybe the saddest. Because part of what, what Ezra does, he's the priest who's leading the people at this point in their history, he says that the reason Israel has had all of this bad stuff happen to them is because they went after other gods and weren't faithful, which might be true. But his, his solution to that was to, to say to Israel, we need to draw in on ourselves and get rid of any outside influences. And so a lot of people, a lot of men had come back from Babylon with Babylonian or other um, ethnicity wives, not Jewish wives. And so one of Ezra's edicts was, you have to divorce those wives because they're not Jewish. And you don't need to care for the children because they're not Jewish, because Jewish lineage comes through the mom. How do you think that turned out for those women and their children? Like, not well, right? I mean, because now they are away from their homeland and, and, and they have no way of providing for themselves. And so they can beg and they can prostitute, but they don't have a lot of options. It's, it's a horrific thing to do to those people. Um, but the Bible is, is, it's an honest book. It doesn't hide the fact that, that this was how the people of God thought that they could be faithful in that situation. But to me, they were just witnessing to the disappointment that they ex had experienced and they were adding to it. What you should also know is at the same time that those books are written, other books are written. Uh, a book like Ruth is written, where the hero of the story is Ruth, 
And she becomes the great-grandmother of who? The great King David. If his great-grandmother isn't Jewish, is he Jewish? No. Uh, and, and so the book of Ruth is written to say, you realize that, that, that nobody's pure and that we're, we're intermingled all the time and that David was great precisely because Ruth was his great-grandmother and because she was from Moab and because she had an amazing faith. It's the same time that the book of Jonah is written. Um, is Jonah a good guy or a bad guy in that story? He's a bad guy because he wants the people of Nineveh wiped off the face of the earth. What's God's response to that? I'm not going to do it. I'm gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God does not seek to wipe out everybody who's different. And the last half of the book of Isaiah is written at this point, a book which over and over again reminds the Jewish people, you're meant to be a light to the nations. In other words, don't pull in on yourselves. Remain open. So within our own scripture, there is this enormous struggle uh, between how you respond to life's disappointments and setbacks. And, and it's aware that we as human beings at different points in our lives do both. Sometimes we are just kind of prisoners of the disappointments we have encountered. And other times, uh, by the gift of the Spirit, I think, and by the support of a community, we become witnesses to grace and goodness. The only thing you need to know about our gospel lesson today is that it's the second thing. That you have these two older people, Simeon and Anna, uh, who in different ways have been waiting or have been disappointed all of their lives. And then suddenly this child comes into their midst. And for whatever reason, they recognize it as the good news that it is. And they proclaim it and they celebrate it. And now, think of all of the disappointments in their lives, and yet they are able to look at their lives and say, they're complete, they're full, they're rich because of what we have received just in this one moment. They are amazing proclaimers of grace. It, it's just a struggle, isn't it? Uh, every day, you kind of have to decide, how am I going to set my mindset towards myself and the people around me? As a congregation, it's a struggle. One of the things I appreciate about Unity Lutheran Church <laughs> is that, that people do talk to us. And, and, and tell us what they, they, they don't like and what isn't, isn't going well, and as you well should and always should. Um, uh, uh, but I think in the midst of, of, of being together as people of faith, it, we still always have the amazing capacity to choose to be proclaimers of grace. Um, I look at this part of the congregation, and I just... I look around at your faces and I see all of you who take such good care of each other. You call each other up, you give each other rides, you check on each other, you visit each other. Um, you're proclaimers of grace every time you do that for and with each other. That is an amazing gift. If you read my annual report, you should pick up an annual report this week or next. One of the things I do is I, I, I just reflect on the fact that each of these congregations now is one, but each of them individually could look at different decisions we've made in our history and say, wow, we really, we really screwed it up. We kind of blew it for the future in some way. Um, I think you can just as easily say that every decision that these congregations have made 
allow us now to be who we are and allow us to devote a lot of resources to each other and to ministries beyond ourselves that would never have happened if all the other things we maybe could have done would have happened. You, you just never know about stuff like that. But whether you're an individual or a congregation, we can either be witnesses to and captured by our disappointment or we can choose to be strong and good, grace-filled people. For the week to come, don't pray for yourself, but pray for somebody next to you in these pews today. For grace, for redemption, for a second chance, for a first chance at something that they have been longing for. Pray for good things for each other. And, and when you and I do that, then I never really care too much what people beyond us think of us, but I hope when they look at us as a congregation, they will say, you know, they try really hard to be true to who they are, and they are not perfect, and they are not tidy, but they are what their name says they are, Unity Lutheran Church.